on every single product, different type. Yeah. We put a small like three-year-old on, on a on a beanbag. We put like a 10-year-old on the beanbag. We huh. put like a 15-year-old on the beanbag and an adult all on the same beanbag. So every single one as they went down, they were like, rather than like an individual size guide, which we still gave them the dimensions, it was much easier for the for the user to relate to those and go, ah, oh, well, my kid's about that age. I know that my kid will fit this one. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. While most businesses think that a website is important for their businesses, they very rarely understand the user experience issues that can affect the conversion rate. These issues run way deeper than we realize. And these issues might be as insignificant as color or messaging that can have a huge impact on consumer psychology. Unless you have a deep understanding of these issues and the tool set to provide you with the data that you need to discover them, you might not know why your site traffic does not convert and what objections your customers may have in doing business with you. In today's episode, our guest Ross Davis shares his insights on the steps for objection hunting and how that can help with discovering user experience issues on a website. He also discusses how factors as insignificant as the color or size of a button can drive the conversion rate. Finally, he discussed several stories where he was able to fix conversion issues through their approach of objection hunting and the tools and technologies that can help with these issues. Let me introduce Ross to you. Ross Davis is the owner of Straff Creative, a digital design agency focused on conversion-led design. He loves to find new and innovative ways to improve processes, whether that's in the way he runs his business or in the design process with clients. Identifying objections and issues in any process can help streamline it and its and this systematic approach that has led to some fantastic client results. Ross is also the author of a book, Paper Plane Plan, which delves into growth hacking for the service industry. He's a proud husband and father, a huge basketball fan, and loves Thai food. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Ross. Welcome Hello. to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to be on. And I am super excited to dig into your stories. And as we were discussing in the pre-show, you have so fascinating stories, especially when you think of the process of objection handling, and that results into the conversion rate optimization, which is always a hot topic among our listeners. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Ross? Yeah, of course. So... 
Uh, I am MD of a company called Strafe Creative. Yeah. Uh, we are a digital design agency with a with a big focus on conversion rate optimization. So yes, we obviously do those those big builds and those brand new ones, but a lot of the time is it's people coming to us who are having problems either selling through their website, whether that's an e-commerce store or it could even be B2B and they have a very small number of leads that are coming in. They might be spending far too much on their advertising and we get involved to basically analyze the data, analyze the site uh, and see if we can look at ways to increase the overall conversion rate. And and as I say, that could be a form fill, that could be actually buying something, that could be downloading something. The the conversion of what that means is, is very subjective to each company. Uh, but it's our focus to kind of get involved and figure out how we can help them. Okay, amazing. So obviously, it's going to be super interesting to dig into all of that. And obviously, we want to dig into the nuances of B2C versus B2B, because the conversion Mm. rate could mean a lot of different things. The customer journeys are going to be different as well. So we'll dig into all of that. But before we do that, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest. And Ross, that is going to be your perspective on business growth yeah so i guess there's a mine's mine's probably one a little bit one-sided right because of what we do yeah. for a living yeah but i guess ours is as much as possible about funneling people into that site and trying to build up to i guess there's two parts to this answer right there's the initial sales and how yeah. do we get that money in and how do we start to generate that area and then for our side we're obsessed with process and how we can we can smooth things out because i guess for our side especially that a lot of agencies can fall into the the problem of we need to add more and more staff each time for us to do more work. And that's not yeah. always the case. So can we look at these separate ones? So I'm almost going to treat that as, as two separate parts, if that's okay. So the first one is this kind of, you know, how do we get the overall audience to know more about us? And this is a prime example. Like it's these digital aspects. It's things like the podcasts. Yeah, We started to do a lot more on kind of on YouTube that we want to be on. And it's, I guess it's learning and showcasing and getting more people to hear about us in that first place, but then also showcasing some of our abilities and what we can do. And this is what I really like about some of these sort of processes that we're taking a user through now yep. is you can have a little bit of a chance just to listen to us. You hopefully like what we have to say and you yep. get to associate that with someone else's business. You can look and go, hmm, that could work really well for us. Great. Um, for us, it's about increasing and spending more and more on digital marketing, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, as an agency, we used to do a lot more of the, the print and the other elements. Yeah. And we don't really get clients to do any of that with us now. And that's because yeah. they're putting a lot of their, their sales and marketing is going to be based on SEO and pay-per-click yeah. and these podcasts and outreach. And obviously, we've also just got, from our approach, what we're finding is the more value that we can give to people, the more people want to work with us. Yeah. So if we can put out really good, solid content that people find really compelling, yeah. not only that, they might not get work from those particular people, yeah. but further down the line, in fact, we got a we got a call last week, which was great. Is someone that read a blog about five, six years ago and favorited it as of ours. Yeah. It's finally got in contact with us because they're finally working for a company large enough that kind of warrants having this conversion rate work. Yeah. So that's a that's a really large part of it for us, and that's kind of the initial kind of the initial kind of the side to it. I would also say that we we possibly sometimes down to a T because we're so analytical with our approach. Yeah, is we can be quite cutthroat, right? Like if yeah. something isn't working, we need to change it and we need to rapidly improve it. Yeah, and if we're not looking to not only split test our website, we should be split testing our advertising and how we're bringing in those eyeballs in the first place. So that's definitely one area. 
The other side that I kind of mentioned is this kind of overall processing side. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't want to teach people to suck eggs, but like, you know, there's a quite a complex process that we run through to get a website from start to finish. Yeah. And I think one of the big things for us is because we have this big flow chart created that we know all of these individual steps that are going to go into it. Okay. It's about 60 steps, uh, 60 steps that we're going to take someone through. Yeah. The idea is that we just slowly try to work through that. And each time we look for efficiencies, just like a manufacturing, right? Just yeah. as if we were designing a widget. Yeah. We want to take it through every individual one. And we want to look for efficiencies in that process each time. And after every single project, one of the things that we always try and do is we have a sit down as a team. We review what went well, what could be better. Yeah. And how do we improve on some of those aspects? Yeah. And how do we do more of the things that went really well? So for us, it's definitely a case of those two elements together is, more and more people kind of coming in yeah. and then making sure that the people that we're servicing, we're constantly improving that overall kind of efficiency in it. Now, obviously, I've not even touched on the you know, the classic thing of just the overall service and the quality, right? Like that's yeah. really key. Yeah. We need to make sure that we're constantly kind of improving on our own work and internal training for us is really key. So each staff member, for example, gets dedicated time where they get to work and they also get a budget, in fact, to be able to work on internal projects. If there's anything in particular, they want to go on a conference or they want to do some online uh, like training, they yeah. get the time and the budget to be able to work on some of those things. I think the main thing that we have definitely learned over the years is let's just find hire people who are way better at the job than I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so let's bring them in, let them be really good at what they do. Yeah. And we try and focus it in that way. We definitely split the team out. So we have people who are very good at very set tasks and we yeah. allow them to focus on those individual tasks. We generally find that just having someone like a generalist who's quite good at lots of different things yeah. means that you don't necessarily excel. Yeah. It's much better for us. For example, we have someone who is a designer who purely focuses on the UX, the experience yeah. Yeah. and the wireframing and the planning. Yeah. And then we have other people who very much focus on making it aesthetically beautiful yeah so just separating those jobs out means that people can get really really good at that one thing yeah we can be more efficient we can get them done quicker because we're used to doing them and then the whole team flows a lot better okay could not agree more i mean uh, when you talk about assigning these specific skills or assigning the specific expertise for the specific role depending upon their own comfort zone that goes a long way because everybody mm. has sort of their own way of operating what they want to focus on. Some people are really yeah. good at high level stuff. Some people are really good at, you know, deep stuff. So obviously identifying that skill set is key, regardless of whether you are a service organization or a product organization, such as manufacturing or e-commerce. So obviously, you know, for the manufacturers, for distributors, for uh, some of the retailers, e-commerce, obviously UX is going to be a big deal because their traffic is coming from the website. But for the most part, is the kind of you know audience that we serve, they are probably going to have five to ten pages website. They are probably prepping for their digital journey. So mm. now going back to your comment about you know this whole process of objection handling, and you had sixty different steps in your process that you we're going to analyze, right? So when you look at these B2C versus B2B businesses, what are some of the KPIs that you are going to need when you are going to work with these businesses and provide the, the 60 steps in B2B versus B2C, I can almost guarantee that those steps are going to be different from the customer journey perspective. So do you want to touch on the differences of B2B versus B2C and how their journeys yeah, are, are going to be? Yeah, perfect. 
Um, so what I would say is there's one of the major overarching areas just to start is before we go any further, yeah. is like we have to know what the end goal of the website is. Yeah. And it's amazing the number of people, especially in a B2B, that they'll say something generic along the lines of, we just want them to get in touch. Yeah. And like the argument that we would always say is it's not specific enough. Like we need to know exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. So that's, for example, getting in touch could be yeah. picking up the phone. It could yeah. be filling in a form. It could right. be emailing. It could be booking an appointment. Yep. Yep. And um, all four of those things there are in theory getting in touch. Yep. But if we wanted the user to do something in particular, we really want to design and basically kind of push or manipulate them to perform that action. I agree. And it's amazing that the number of times where someone comes in and just says, oh, you know, as long as they get in touch, we don't mind. <laughs> yep. We know to create something that's going to convert really highly. Yeah. We need to know exactly what that is. And we always try and drill that down. And yep. sometimes actually the people that we're speaking with don't know. So what we need to do is we need to speak to the sales team and be like, okay, do you want them do you prefer, for example, them to pick up straight off the phone because you can just sell to them? Yeah. Or would you rather them fill in a form, you've got a little bit of time to prep, and then you can call them back? Yeah. So before we even kind of go any further with KPIs and even know where how we create these funnels and everything yeah. else, yeah, it's amazing the difference that we can have with that. Yeah. So really understanding what that purpose is is really, really critical. Yeah. Now, the other thing that we think is uh, essential yeah. is yes let's have a purpose yeah but we always must have a sub-purpose we must have a fallback okay and the reason for that is that people might be interested in your service or your product yeah but they might not be quite ready to commit for whatever reason that might be right right obviously product you know let's say for e-commerce it's quite easy right like yeah someone's interested in buying a pair of shoes but they might be waiting for payday or they might be waiting to see if they can find it anywhere else. Or they might be waiting to see if it's in a sale or they're not yeah. 100% sure on that colorway. So they're going to have a look around for somewhere else. Yeah. So that's where a sub-purpose is really useful, that we can try grab some of their information in exchange for, I don't know, free shipping. Right. So that we can continue to sell to them so that when they've made that decision, they'll you're the first you're the first like point of call to come back to. Right. B2B is a similar idea, right? That yeah. Especially when, if you're going to fill in a form or pick up a phone, you you know you're going to be sold to at the end of the day, right? Like, not yep. everyone wants that. You kind of go, mm, I'm interested, <laughs> but not. Am I quite ready to be sold to yet? Right. So having that kind of backup where you can maybe grab their information or get them to join a social media channel or get them to join a community or even yep. download something. So that's one that does work really well, which is like you know download your guide to choosing for, for us for straight creative it might be a you know what to look for to find the perfect design agency yeah having something like that shows that they're clearly interested and what we want to do is we want to give them something that shows they're in that persona to potentially purchase from us later yeah but they might not be quite ready to fill in our form to say that they're interested to work with us so having a major kind of purpose and sub-purpose is, is, is critical. And okay. without those two things, we can't create any of the KPIs off the back of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm aware of, I've spent a little bit longer on that particular area, but it's so key. And it's one of the main areas that it happens time and time again, where people aren't specific enough with what it is. Yeah. One of them, especially if we then flip over to e-commerce. Yeah. E-commerce is in theory quite a simple one, right? It's like, well, we want to sell as much as possible. 
Yeah. But actually, that's not always the case with some of our clients. Yeah. What they might want to do is they might think, well, actually, the conversion rate's really good. Like, we're pretty pleased with where the conversion rate is. The conversion rate's at, you know, 3.5%. That's okay. That's good. Yeah. But the we want people to spend more with us. We want that average order value to be a lot yeah. higher. Yeah. So how do we push or get people to spend more money with us? And where is that a case of just having to you know, sell to them as they go through the car? Can we be offering more bundling options? Yeah. Actually, is it better to get them through the initial um, the initial purchase as quickly as possible and then sell to them almost in the back end via email? Yeah. So we need to figure out some of those different elements and what's going to happen. So that's really one of the key areas is 100% nail down what the purpose of not only of the of our project is going to be, like a web project. Yeah. But and also kind of just the, the overall purpose of where we're trying to get to. So if their biggest concern, if their biggest area is, oh, we've got loads of clients that's converting really well, but we're not selling enough to each individual person. Yeah. Then that's what we should be focusing on. Once we've got those down, yes, that's where we create the KPIs of that. And we can start to figure out what those are going to be. And those are going to be, you know, pretty standard ones that we're definitely going to want in place. It's just overall traffic. Yeah. We want to know the overall breakdown of where those individual visitors are coming from so source yeah and yeah. um, and we also probably want to break that down into i guess at set points in the funnel yeah so you know at the end of in an ideal world everyone comes on don't they and they look at it and they go oh great i'll just yeah. buy that but we also know that's not realistic yeah so most people if it's um if it's b2b yeah they're probably going to want to have they're going to take a slight journey around your site yeah so they're going to make they're going to look at your services they want yeah. to make sure that you're offering the services um, that they need yeah they're probably going to want to see some form of proof that you've done it whether that's case studies or testimonials they're definitely going to want to see some of that information right they might want to look at the team and i think this is a huge area that people overlook and that user journey if you've got a decent sized uh company they probably don't want to work with a one-man band yeah so you need to be looking at the like people want to see the size of the company to know that okay they're, they're working with the right sort of person you know, yeah. They're a decent sized company. We're not going to be a big fish to them that, you know, if it goes wrong with this one person, that they're not going to come back. So showing team, I think, is a really under undervalued area to it. Yeah. And then there's going to be all these little criteria that are going to start to come into this as well about credibility building. So, you know, have they worked with a similar size firm? Have they yeah. worked with any of our competitors? Yeah. Do they do uh, or have they even worked in the industry? And that might be a plus or a minus depending on you're uh, the person so yeah. some people want to work with someone who's got lots of experience in my industry yeah some people don't want you to have worked with any of your competitors <laughs> yeah so so sometimes that can actually work in your favor or against you right so that's very much beta beta uh, b2b from a b2c point of view it's a similar idea right like we but they want to build a lot more credibility especially if you you're not selling well-known brands or you're selling your own items yeah then we need to look at ways of building credibility and that will come from i guess big numbers right so how do we show that we've already delivered a lot of this products do we have hundreds or thousands of reviews do those reviews talk about the quality yeah and are we also selling and i think this is especially an area that's really underlooked on e-commerce yeah is it's not just about the product yeah it's about the steps that the product has gone through for you to get there so if i'm on it again if i take that user journey and i take a step back and i look at this from an e-commerce perspective yeah I'm not just coming on and going to a product page and going happy days i'm going to buy that yeah i probably want to have a little bit of an understanding about 
the company as a whole what do they stand for right. you know do they stand for the same things that i do yeah and um, how long have they been going where are they sourcing some of the uh, materials from yeah you know what made them create this in the first place can right. i can i kind of um understand their, their reasonings for doing some of that and then also we want to talk about the quality so if you do have something that's handmade or you know not just made on a conveyor belt type thing we really want to push that and we want to talk about that in a bit of detail yeah and the other side to that almost kind of contradicting myself a little bit but if you are using the conveyor belt and everything's automated yeah sell that like that's a great thing to talk about the quality the fact that everything's consistent yeah so you can see that actually handmade or kind of like you know machine made yeah can be sold to and it can be really upselled right. and i think we all focus too heavily on just here's my widget buy my widget yep yep rather than just here's the process that we went through um one example of this that was really nice is we worked with a, a company like that sold bean bags so okay. uh directly to consumer and they had a really really low conversion rate so less okay. than 1% okay um depending on what you read and again the guys will probably this will you know this will change depending on i guess what you read slightly but we would say industry standard on an e-commerce build is somewhere between 1.2 and 1.6%. Okay. So if you're in those sort of realms then um you're on average right and we want to get 2 3 4 if not higher percent. Right, right. If we're sub 1% meaning less than one in every 100 people is buying from you and that's what i mean by conversion rate. Yeah. Then then we've got a problem. Yeah. Now, the benefit for us is happy days that means there's lots for that we can do to the website. Yeah. And um, and one of the things we did is we reached out for everyone who was on the website but didn't look to buy we gave them a little pop up. Yeah. To basically and and it was one simple question. It was yeah. just what stopped you buying today? Right. And that question we pretty much put on any project that we take on as conversion led. That's yeah. what we asked them. Yeah. A couple of different pieces of software that I can explain later on that will do that. Yeah. And um, but we always ask them that same question. And it's always really interesting just to see, you know, not everyone fills it in at the end of the day. Right. But we get some really good ideas of what might stop someone from buying something. Right. And what we were finding on this is that they were concerned that the delivery times were going to okay. be really long and the quality was going to be really low okay. because that it felt that these items were going to be made out in China and then they were going to be delivered interesting and these products were all being made in the UK yeah they were all being shipped within 2 3 days yeah but the, the old website didn't speak about any of this it didn't talk about the process of how it was made it didn't huh. really even talk about shipping right it just the the argument when we delved into this further is what they were saying is well if your products are so cheap yeah. they must be just being shipped over from china like that was the logic of of the people who were landing on the website very interesting yeah really really interesting and there's other aspects i can talk about this but one of the things that we did is like okay well that's one real that's an easy area to improve right right yeah <laughs> like all we've got to do is start talking about made in the uk made in the uk yeah. we can have some nice videos or even just photos of the factory of everything being made we didn't yep. really have to do a lot to the site for that to really help yeah but that alone got the conversion rate into the average area so we went from sub uh, 1% to like 1.3% just just with those small changes wow so so big you know really and almost like like we didn't have to do a lot of work right to make that happen so wait, like wait. those are some of the areas that are really really key now the other one that we discovered and this is going back to this question that i spoke about is um people were talking about the fact that they didn't know how big a bean bag was going to be right and if you think about it if you buy a sofa you buy yeah. a desk you buy any other piece of furniture right you know the dimensions don't you yeah 
you're able to figure all of that information out. Right. So there's two parts that happen with a beanbag. Is first off, most people measure a beanbag by when it's not sat on before yeah. it's flattened out. Right, right. So you don't quite know how big it is. Yeah. And secondly, you know, at the end of the day, beanbags not necessarily an adult purchase, right? Like you're not <laughs> buying beanbags for that reason. Yep, yep. You might be buying it for your children or your teenager. Or, yeah. You know, you might have a, a random room with them in, but you know, it's definitely not that kind of purchase. So we were finding that people weren't necessarily concerned about the overall size of them. They wanted to know how their child sat on it yeah so this sounds really strange but one of the things that we came out with it is is on every single product different type yeah we put a small like three-year-old on on a on a beanbag okay we put like a 10-year-old on the beanbag we huh. put like a 15-year-old on the beanbag and an adult all on the same beanbag so every single one as they went down they were like rather than like an individual size guide which we still gave them the dimensions it was much easier for the for the user to relate to those and go ah oh, well my kid's about that age right 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 so i know that my kid will fit this one right again that um added about 4% 4 or 5% to the conversion uh, sorry 0.4.5% so again wow. we're getting to like 1.8 1.9 with little small changes yeah yeah these are the things that can make a huge difference again from our point of view from a design agency point of view there wasn't a load we had to do there the main outlay was the photography right, right. Like, that they had to kind of invest in to get that done but huge things like that and i think this is one of the things where conversion rate can be split into two different ways so conversion rate can be done by the classic split testing okay and what i mean by this is you know the color of a button can affect how likely someone is to click it and i'm aware that i'm jumping around here so apologies feel free to interrupt me and ask yep. me to, to simplify <laughs> but the color of a button or the text on the button can affect how likely someone is to to click it so the very kind of standard approach to conversion rate optimization is you know testing the color of buttons testing the titles yeah testing the buttons and everything like that now that's still super super important yeah but one of the the ways that we do it is something called a bayesian approach and the bayesian approach is based on what is a scientific theory so the idea is that we'll do a load of research yeah a bit like you know i spoke about this little kind of we ask questions that when people didn't buy yeah we created theories around why those people didn't buy them and yeah. then we designed aspects to fix those theories and then we just tested that yeah so that's a slightly different approach that's the approach that we prefer to take yeah um we still do the split testing and the other items but so it's, it's a nicer way of getting a big jumping conversion rate right. and you can take a theory especially when it's directly from someone who just didn't buy on your website yeah and then we can test that theory as i've said with okay well people seem to be unsure of sizings people talk about the fact that it will be too small or too big for the child so how do we get around that yeah so that was the idea that was the theory we created this theory we created a solution that fixed that potential problem and then we tested that and then that jumped up so you can start to see that it's not just around the basic testing yeah it's about really understanding the reasons why someone doesn't buy from you and to be honest i could spend the whole half an hour just talking about what we call objection hunting yeah um so yeah i'm aware that i've slightly gone off key there with kpis and whatnot but um but hopefully that gives you a bit of a flavor about the difference that you would take from a B2B to, to a B2C. No, that's very interesting. And the I actually love the story because, you know, if you really think about it, these are very small changes. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's not a big deal as such if anybody says that, you know what? I mean, if you have an e-commerce site, then you probably should be researching about your customer, understanding their journey. But when you actually put this into perspective, how you are finding these things and what is driving people to purchase 
Now that's a big deal because that is actually driving your conversion rate. Uh, so you also yeah. mentioned that you know there are some of the classic elements, and a lot of people might not be able to connect and relate with oh, how is color going to affect whether people are going to click on a button and how is the text going to affect whether people are going to click on the button or not. So have you mm-hmm. tested with any of your clients where you had some of the discoveries that, okay, the people did not click on blue button for some because they could not see it. So do you have any testing stories where you have found that the color or the text were actually the the factors that drove the conversion rate and what were the explanation or the findings from those stories do you have any specific stories that you might be able to share related to that yes that's a really great idea actually so uh one that immediately comes to mind is um we do uh we created a website yeah for a company called adventure base they yeah. sell adventure holidays so the idea is of like you know cli- i want to climb a mountain yeah you know like one of those like bucket list ideas yeah i want to climb up this so you know that sort of thing um and we created their website and actually yeah. it it hugely it did hugely increase the conversion rate and i'm going to purposely kind of skip over that so that i can get onto the, the key details yeah but one of the things is, you know, these these, these holidays aren't cheap. You know, you're talking four or five thousand uh, thousand pounds, or you know, even even more in dollars, um, for like three days. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're climbing the mountain. You're going to have a guide. There's only a very small amount of people that are going to be on it. You know, it won't it won't be a cheap thing for you to do. Yeah. Um, but on the website, um, we talk about the pricing. We go yeah. through all of that information, and then actually, as you get through to the payment option. It does always give you an option to either buy now or pay 10% and then pay it a month before. Yeah. And one of the things that I guess we'd not really considered or the client hadn't considered is the whole site was set up to try to get as many people to purchase as possible and to make the full payment. Yeah. But actually, most people, when they got through, they thought they were going to have to pay the full amount. Yeah. And then when they got near the end, they had to pay 10%. Yeah. So I guess once we'd discovered this and they shared this with us, we spoke about the fact that, well, the language on the button probably doesn't make sense to push them to book now. Yeah. It probably makes more sense to push them to pay their deposit. Yeah. So a simple language change like that, pay deposit now, huh. you know, made, um, it, I think it, it added a, about 30% to the conversion rate overall. Um, so if you can imagine if that was 1%, it would go to 1.3. Now, the site already converted at a really high percent, so a, a 30% jump was huge. Yeah. And that's a great example of, you know, we did the site. I was really proud of it. It worked yeah. with the rewards, so, like, we knew it was working well. Yeah. But a simple text change made a huge difference because we had a bit of data to run from, and we realized that even though the site was converting and, and people were buying, yeah, most people were just buying that 10% deposit. and you can then theorize to say, well, how many people did we put off? Yeah. Because we didn't reference that you only had to pay a deposit. Yeah. So just a little text change on the button, pay deposit now instead, made a huge difference. So or the, the power of a little, the, the text that's on the button, what yeah. we call contextualizing it, yeah, um, can be critical, can be really, really key. Very interesting. So since you are talking a lot about data and analytics and fundamental assumption here is going to be, sure, you are getting the higher conversion rate. Sure, yep. uh, you know, you are improving, but obviously the underlying data needs to be accurate. Mm. If your conversion rate is improving, uh, are people actually buying something and your revenue is increasing because of whatever you are doing? So in your experience, do you have any sort of best practices, especially 
when we look at different brands, okay, they might have many different uh, websites. They might have created a lot of microsites. And when you have all of that, obviously correlating data is always going to be a key. I don't know in your customer base whether they have just one site or multiple sites. Uh, but mm-hmm. then even if you have one site, you have to have some more data correlated on top of whatever you are getting. I don't know whether you guys utilize Google Analytics or whichever tool you are utilizing. You have to mm-hmm. overlay some more data. So do you have any sort of best practices in terms of number one, aggregating data so that you have clear insight that, okay, if you are saying your conversion rate is 1%, it really is 1%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah, the first one is when a new client joins us, it's, it's pretty much always the case that that person's data isn't correct because it hasn't okay. been cleansed. Yeah. So Google Analytics is great. I love it. We we couldn't do without it. So, you know, it's a free tool, but it has so much power. Yeah. Um, I think mainly it's normally the issues of like just if there's no filters being applied to it correctly. Okay. Um, one of the things that you get a lot of is um, you get a lot of people who naturally are trying to attract what is a webmaster. So they're trying, their product is created for someone who would be looking at Google Analytics. Yeah. And they will create tools that basically just spam the analytics triggers yeah. to create fake data yeah. so that you that web address then appears in theirs and then the web, like someone like me, would look at it and go, oh, what's this tool? Yeah. So that's a pretty common thing. You also get a lot of data that, you know, as far as we're concerned, if, if you know, if you only sell in, uh, you only sell in Texas. Yeah. It's almost irrelevant what someone does in another, you know, it's irrelevant what someone does in the UK, right? Yep. So like, we almost want to just remove those people. We want to focus on the data that's most important to us and just, and, and cut everything else out because that gives us really good data. We yep. don't really want the data from the UK to skew. Yeah everything else that we're doing because the site might be working really well just in texas and then we go design a brand new website that's great for the uk market when that doesn't matter as yeah a, yeah as an example yeah so applying huge filtering is really really key yeah one of the, the tools that we really like and a lot of our clients use uh, is called uh, ruler analytics and ruler analytics is a system that allows you to basically overlay um additional information over the top of your standard analytics so okay. for example it has a really good call tracking system okay that you can link in um it also records all of the individual um if you wanted to yeah um you could watch every single user as a video huh. so you could see where their cursor is moving you could literally analyze it to the nth degree to figure out what it is okay. and it has a really nice um kind of categorization system so you might be like i only want to look at the people who spent five minutes on my website yeah um but didn't do anything but didn't buy yeah and then you could literally watch those hand watch those and just figure out where people are getting lost yeah there's other tools that you can get um such as hot jar that allow you to do or, or crazy egg that allow you to do things like scroll tracking so how yeah. far down a page does someone get yeah you can have something called heat mapping yeah where the areas of a page that people click and yeah. just to explain the difference to, uh, I guess, to everyone. So analytics is great at giving you an understanding of the pages that they visit. Yeah. So, you know, oh, great. Everyone's visiting my product page A. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. The benefit of heat, uh, heat mapping is it tells you what link they're actually clicking to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's three ways, for example, that people generally navigate websites. Yeah. Some people will go straight for the top menu. Yeah. That's how they'll navigate around the website. They'll, yeah. they'll click through that. Yeah. 
you have a different demographic of people who ignore that top menu yeah and they scroll down the site yeah uh, and they purely navigate based on links that they can see yeah and then the third one is um what we'd call like the efficiency persona yeah they just want to they just want to uh search want to go straight for search and they'll ignore everything else they'll yeah go straight for search and they'll just find whatever they can find by that way yeah yeah so that's why something like a heat mapping tool is super beneficial because it gives you an indication not just of the links they visited that we find out through the Google Analytics, yeah, but it also gives an understanding of whether actually like which areas of the site are they clicking on and what and like how often, yeah. And it's always surprising as well that you might have something that you think stands out, just yeah, because it, I don't know, for example, you put a big orange button on a black area, so you think, oh, that must stand out, yeah. But actually, when you start looking at all the mapping and everything else, no one clicks it, no one sees it, yeah. It's just white noise. So another tool that's really useful, and again, I'm aware I'm giving you lots of tools here, but these are like our tool set that we would use. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of them is called Attention Insights. Okay. Now, uh, Attention Insights is particularly good because it's what is what we would call a pre-testing tool. Okay. So rather than you having to run, you know, rather than you having to run like 10,000 people through your site, which, yeah. which might take a couple of days, it might take a month. Yeah. Um, you can run it through this pre-testing software and it's basically built um it's linked with a couple of universities where they yeah. did lots of eye tracking yeah. testing yeah and they basically built an algorithm that allows you to put any design any website into it and it will it will give you an indication on a scoring basis of yeah. the, the clarity score of how easy it is to read and you can draw boxes over different areas that will tell you how much it stands out compared to the other information around it yeah now we use that as a as a starting tool because it's a really easy way for us just to quickly analyze the site. Because, for example, like I say, a button that's really bright in the top right corner, you might automatically presume it's going to be really obvious to the user. <laughs> yeah. But you run it through a, but you, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. But yeah. actually, you run it through that tool, and that tool says, "I don't even see it," <laughs> and you think, "Well, it must be wrong, surely." But then you change the color of the button. You run it through the tool again; it now stands out. Wow! And we and we then and then we then put it live, and it, and it's like ninety percent oh. accurate. Um, so that would always be one thing I would say is just because you think it stands out doesn't mean it does. There's so much more that we have to take into account from that contrast point of view. So, just slapping a bright color on is not an easy. It's it, it's not a it's not a savior for everything. Very interesting. So uh, I actually love the tool set. By the way, I mean that's a very comprehensive list that you know people who are looking to find the shoes uh, around user journeys, I think they can definitely mm. get benefited, right? So now when you look at these user journeys and the customer journeys, when you are trying to identify the issues related to objection handling, uh, do you typically find that only e-commerce uh, you know, sites are going to get benefited by utilizing these tools? Or can some of the B2B sites that are going to be primarily content-driven, they are not trying to sell anything? Can they utilize these tools as well to be able to understand what users are doing and uh, whether they are really accomplishing what you want them to accomplish? Obviously, in case of P2B, you want them to fill the contact form <laughs> yeah, yeah, of as soon as possible, right? Yeah. So, so, so I mean, the short answer is yes. So both can definitely use it. Okay. Um, but it relates back to what I said right at the start, which is, as long as you know if someone's not selling something but as long as that site has a purpose yeah as long as you've identified a main purpose and sub purpose these tools can still be super super useful it's not just for e-commerce obviously e-commerce are going to see a huge benefit in this right. it's obviously so so transactional 
Um, but but hundred percent, uh, you know, B two B if they're filling in forms or downloads or anything like that is is really great. One thing that we always that we would always try and insist on anyway with um with a client is, I would always try and associate a monetary value to a lead or yeah. a download. Yeah. Because it's a really nice way of um I guess making it more tangible. Yeah. So rather than being like oh you know that we made these tweaks and it brought in it brought in point two percent more. Right. Right. It's a really nice thing that even if that lead doesn't necessarily, you know, you can work it out, right? So you can go like, oh, you know, we average £10,000 on a, on a cost um, and then we convert all the way through and you can figure out like a really precise number yeah. um, once you've gone through your sales funnel. So yeah. we would always say associate that number because it makes it so much easier for you to like go, okay, this is this is making a tangible difference. I can see that cash. Right. Um, and, you know, cash is king and all that, all those uh, kind of st- candid stand, uh, stereotypes. But yeah, something like that is a really key and easy one to do. And I'm more than happy, again, I can kind of run you through how we would do that. So we might have an average cost. Yeah. We know that... Um, the number of leads that comes through our project planner that actually we probably lose about 50% of those just purely to um, they don't have the budgets for us to work from. Yeah. We then know from moving from that initial sales step to the next step that we might lose 20% of those people and then we'll convert maybe 60% once we get further down here. Yeah. So we know what our average cost is and we can start to relate that number back yeah. until we get that every individual lead is worth know, a thousand pounds to us. So that's the way that we do it. Um, and it means that we can just be really transactional, that we can just focus on that, 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 okay, how many people are filling that, that in? Um, and that's a really, really key one. Amazing. So that's it for today, Ross. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? I think the main one is just to be willing to try something out that yeah. most people won't, um, they'll go with the site and they'll think, oh, well, that's the site. I just need a brand new one. And it's like, yeah. There's so many things, there's so many little key little things that we've just spoken about today. Yeah. Just just go have a look at. And if you haven't already interviewed some of your clients that you might have, or even just your sales staff to figure out what are the repeated questions that are always getting asked. Yeah. Just go find those out and then pass them to your web agency and say, these are the constant questions we're getting asked. How would you fix this? Because the more that we can do on site, the easier we make the sales or you know anyone's job really. So that's a really key one. It's just kind of giving it a go and seeing how it works. And the thing is, when people start to actually see it helping, it's a really nice, easy one. And it's nowhere near as expensive as building a new site. And that's kind of the big the big thing, right? Let's evolve what you've got rather than start it again. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be the amount of insight and intel that you can get from your digital journeys and the e-commerce journey. Uh, You are never going to have that deep understanding of your customers in the traditional world. So if you Mm. have not utilized these digital channels and some of these tools that we have spoken about, give them a try because that's where the money is. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time, Ross. This has been a fascinating conversation. And thank you so much for having me. It's obviously been lovely to be on and uh, nice to kind of catch you up over these past few weeks. So thank you again. Of course. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Ross, head over to strafcreative.co.uk. It's S-T-R-A-F-E-C-R-E-A. T-I-V-E dot C-O dot U-K. For WBS Rocks listeners, they have a free offer to do the free conversion review of your website. 
If you fill the project planner there and mention WBS Rocks, they will send a video with some ideas on how to improve your website. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with John Reedman, who discusses how to compare and measure marketing channels to plan your marketing budget. Also, the interview with Howard Chiersky, who discusses the process of customer empathy, the importance of user experience research, and the approach of design thinking to improve the outcome of digital initiatives. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.